Hello, and welcome to another episode of Education Reflections with Susan Virilis. This is my second episode of my first podcast ever, where I reflect on my professional learning and experiences with education. Today, I'm going to be reflecting on my personal and professional growth after taking my special education part two course. One of the questions that uh, I've been asked to reflect on is what has been the most impactful part of my learning process during this AQ course? And I'd have to say that it's very difficult to pick just one way. For a very long time, I've been uncomfortable with how we conduct special education in Ontario. I have found it very oppressive. We're very deficit focused. And it has been a lot of extra work, particularly where I work because we have an, a full inclusion model. And that full inclusion model has included all inclusive at all costs. This has not really served the needs of many of my students. And it's been a real struggle to be an educator when you are not really in line with the philosophy of your employer. And I don't believe in all inclusion at all costs because there are some students who really suffer under that inclusion model. However, there are many students that thrive. So I think it needs to be inclusion for some and what's best for all. Uh, sort of like our learning model, when we talk about universal design for learning, it's necessary for some, but benefits all. Um, I really think that where I work, we've had the best of intentions with the theory behind all-inclusive all education, um, but we just really didn't have the most informed execution. There was little training or prep time for staff. Many staff felt that they were thrown to the wolves, and it was very frustrating because um, another board in our area has been fully inclusive for a number of years and has a very successful model and we didn't even look to them at all. So for me, I think what has been most impactful is the idea of, you know, necessary for some, best for all. So I've talked about some of the things that haven't gone well where I work and I think haven't gone well with special education in Ontario. Um, so for me, this really comes down to ideas of leadership and philosophies of leadership. And this has been really stressed in the part two course. Um, I think if we are going to move forward with effective and efficient models of integration, inclusion, diversity, the first tenant of that type of education really has to be to respect and uphold the dignity of the person. And we need to see people. And often I think we see disability, we see deficit, we see race, ethnicity, we see things in people and of people that we use to divide and separate them. And we think that these divisions are really good because then we can address individual needs. 
However, when we start from the deficit side of those needs and of those differences, we're really missing the person in front of us. And we're really not looking at them as somebody who has dignity, who has agency, and who has the right to a respectful education and respectful of who they are, as well as what they need. So this is really where neurodiversity has solidified for me my my ideas and my my practice of education in in general. I approach each student as an individual, but I approach them not as a student, I approach them as a person. Somebody who should have a voice in their own learning, somebody who should be able to foster independent skills and self-advocacy, and someone whose uniqueness should be honored. Um, For years, this has been my approach. I've always found success in the classroom with it, but not necessarily success when collaborating with colleagues. And up until this course, I really didn't have a word for what was going on. And really, uh, it's been that I always look to a student's strength and want to build on that, um, which is the neurodiverse approach. I don't see students in this sort of mechanical way. I don't see disabled students as broken pieces that need to be fixed and knit back together. I've always approached teaching as cultivating learners and seeing their growth. Um, And one of the things that neurodiversity does is instead of starting with the deficit, we start with those strengths and we try and grow those strengths like a forest or like any garden. And then cultivating the strongest parts of our soil, of our plants, of putting down those strong roots, we can start adding new plants to that garden and watch them grow healthily, but possibly at a different pace. Um, So for me, I'm I'm going to continue leading with neurodiverse practices, but especially now that I have the lingo, the edgy speak, the edgy babble, if you will, I think my collaborations and my liaising with other staff members, as well as my superiors, will be a lot easier because I have something concrete to point to. Um, I'm also really disappointed that as we move forward with a lot of plans and changes in education, we're really not including advocates from disability communities. We're really behind the ball on inclusion of not just special, so-called special needs and disability advocates, but in other areas as well, in terms of race, ethnicity, religion. Um, you know, our, our board offers, all the boards offer extensive training with ABBA, the so-called, um, you know, uh, training for autistic students. However, aut- the Autistics for Autistics is, um, is an advocacy group made up of people from the autistic community and they are vehemently opposed to this type of training and I've never taken it myself because of concerns that I've had with how it how it trains and now that I'm aware of autistics for autistics um, I'm even more against taking the training so those voices need to be at our school level they need to be at our board levels, they need to be in our trustees, and they need to be in our ministries. But unfortunately, a lot of those 
parts of the hierarchy are quite frankly inaccessible. We use education beyond secondary school as exclusive means to divide and conquer parts of our society. Um, I can't think of one person at my board office who is autistic. I can't think of one person who has a visible disability. Um, <laughs> I really struggle to think of anybody who is diverse culturally. Um, there are a ha small handful of teachers who come from other cultures and other ethnicities. Um, but it's very apparent, at least where I work, that we are missing some really key components across all levels of our staffing that will definitely help alleviate a number of these things um, and, and bring new voices to the table. Um, in fact, actually, in, in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement rising again uh, this past year because of the tragic deaths in the States, our board is finally putting together a diversity committee. And I did apply to be on it. I come from a, a mixed race marriage. I work with a lot of LGBTQ2SI students, and I've had um, some very close educational experiences with Indigenous students and Indigenous students who have been removed from their communities for a number of reasons, and they no longer are allowed to live with family, and they're no longer allowed to be on reserve. And I think I would bring a very unique voice. And I recently got an email saying that um, they have not selected the committee yet because they had more than 90 applicants for the committee. And for me, that is so heartwarming to think that so many people want to step in and do right. But looking at our board and I, you know, I've worked in every school, pretty every high school, at least in our board. Um, I shudder to think whether we will actually have a diverse enough group. Um, so I really am going to be keeping an eye on that and advocating for more of the diversity in our staff um, because those voices need to be there. They're integral to planning. I don't have the experience of uh, somebody who's black, indigenous, or a person of color. Um, you know, my husband, while he is half Peruvian, his skin tone is quite white. So although we have a mixed race marriage, we've never faced any adversity over it. Um, although when, when our children were baptized and my in-laws came to our church, there were a lot of looks. Um, my father-in-law in particular, who is Peruvian, um, he's not from the Hispanic conquistador uh, side where typically a lot of the people in Peru who stereotypically and typically people who come from sort of the Spanish conqueror descendants uh, have lighter brown skin. Um, my father-in-law is can trace his lineage right back to the Incas and his family has remained um, within the indigenous cultures. My, my, my grandmother-in-law didn't she spoke Spanish, but she also 
spoke Quechua, which is the indigenous language of Peru. Um, so we have been through a few uncomfortable experiences through that kind of diversity, but I certainly don't have a long-standing experience where that comes from. And we do have students in our board who come from very diverse backgrounds. Our board is a huge, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, advertiser uh, in other countries for exchange students. Uh, we have a very strong relationship with a couple of Brazil exchange programs. And we have these students who come from very culturally different and diverse areas of South America and they they come to Midwestern Ontario and there are a lot of shocks to their systems um, and typically they're not very welcome uh, in, in social settings and in our communities and that's been really hard to watch and to see and to experience. So for me I really would like to be a part of this committee because I do have I have a lot of different experiences that could help inform um, and I think that I would have a lot to learn from a committee that is based around diversity. So sort of the, to bridge the divide here. Um, as my role, I really, as I said, I really feel validated in my approach. And now that I have this language, I think I can collaborate more efficiently and more effectively. I really want to continue with my neurodiverse approach um, and welcoming all students into my classroom. I have a very open and inclusive classroom. I often have students spending time at lunch or on their prep periods in my classroom, whether I teach them or not and a number of students are drawn to my classroom and I you know I maybe should pat myself on the back for that but I, I also don't want to because I think that that should be every classroom I think every teacher should be open and welcoming and willing to have community grow organically in each of our classrooms um, I also feel that in my new in my sort of newfound education I really want to be an advocate for more diverse voices at all the tables um, and making you know our documents accessible for parents and guardians um, and I can't even get through most of the ministry stuff and I I'm a gifted reader I was uh, identified as gifted in languages when I was 11 mostly because I was reading university level texts and writing at a university level and um, and yeah, if I can't get through a document because it's overbearing, I cannot imagine what a number of our parents are doing. Um, so a part, if I am able to partake in this disability, or sorry, this diversity committee, um, that's one of the things that I'm gonna advocate hard for is that we make our documents more accessible, that we put them in more parent-friendly language, just like we would a report card, um, a report card statement, a report card comment, and that our 
documents are broken down. If we are going to publish in this PDFs, we should have chapters within those PDFs so that you can use the toolbar to navigate through them into the sections that you want to read or break up the document in different sections on our website as per the York District uh, School Board has done. It's a very impressive website. Um, I think there's still some work that needs to be done there after, you know, completing this course, but I definitely think that um, they are really leading the pack when it comes to their accessibility of documents. I also really want to advocate for more funding and particularly for EAs and I really think that we need a, a difference between having EAs versus PSWs and you know not necessarily bodyguards but people who are trained to handle our more aggressive and violent students. I have had such productive relationships with educational assistants who are there to assist the education of students. They know how to help me chunk. They know how to go through course materials and um, modify it and accommodate it in ways that I couldn't even think of and that's because of their training and their background and they are really an underused and maligned resource um, especially this past year I had an absolutely amazing relationship with an EA sorry I'm gonna get emotional because I miss working with her just so much um, and <laughs> I can't I don't have the words to say how invaluable she is like I if you were to ask me how how much would I pay to have somebody like that in a classroom I would say you'd <laughs> you couldn't name a price high enough I would I would give I'd give my right arm to work with somebody like that every single day um, and also in my role, I'm going to definitely actively seek out and apply for more leadership and coaching roles. So really my next steps, you know, are to apply what I've learned, to share with others, to seek and accept opportunities to share with others. And um, I really feel inspired by my learning this round, uh, by the people that I've met through the course. Um, and so I would really like to apply what I've learned for at least a year or two before taking my part three. I really feel strongly about um, furthering my qualifications in this field in order to be the best teacher that I can. One last sort of thought here, um, you know, I've talked a lot about the negatives that I see um, and some of the ways that we have not done inclusion or the so-called spec ed really well. But I do sort of want to leave on a high note and a note of hope. A big part of the reason why I chose to do this course this year is that I had an incredible experience with a student. And again, I credit a lot of this student's success to the EA that I was working with. Um, the EA and I made a pretty fabulous team. Um, but this, this student who I will call Kelly is autistic and is mostly nonverbal and uses assistive communication 
to engage with people around them and in classes. And I knew that my music class would be respectful of the student's needs, of the time it takes for the student to arrange their thoughts using the assistive technology, um, you know, to answer a question, to participate, and so on and so forth. But as we were working more and more with this student, we were finding out really how much more capable they were than what the previous assessments had come back as. The student had transferred from another school um, and there was not much in their learning portfolio from the previous school, particularly when it came to music, other than that this student absolutely loved music. And the student became enraptured with the piano. And normally I don't use piano with my band courses. Um, however, how could I not? I mean, the student was so enthusiastic and excited. So I made sure that the student had repertoire that would work for them. They would do their individual practice just like the rest of my class and they would work with the rest of the group. Um, but the more and more confident the student became in class, the more I really wanted to offer the student a performance opportunity outside of class to really display what they could do. Unfortunately, um, we didn't have a lot of support from home, so the student was kept back from our uh, end of season concert, um, which is in the evening. And even though we had offered transportation and all kinds of other means, home just refused to allow the student to come, which is absolutely heartbreaking. So we went about making preparations for the student to participate in the Christmas assembly. And we practiced in the space and did everything that we could do to make this part of the routine for the student. And then come the assembly day, the student really struggled to get to the piano and play on their own. Uh, we had mic'd the piano and everything. And um, I went, the, 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 the thousand or so student body was getting kind of restless. So one of the MCs just called them to quiet and said, please just give us a few minutes because Kelly needs quiet to be encouraged to come to the piano. And every single student in that auditorium, even some very notorious students for behavioral issues, fell silent and they just waited. And after a few moments of silence, Kelly went to the piano and sat down and played their three melodies. And when they were done, stood up and blew a kiss to the whole audience. And the entire student body rose to their feet in a standing ovation. And for me, that was, that was such a win. Not just that Kelly played and not just that they were able to overcome some of their discomfort and had worked so hard for that moment, but that an entire auditorium of teenagers sat still and quiet out of respect for another person's needs and then showed their appreciation for that person in one of the most 
glorious ways that a performer can receive. And they weren't applauding because it was the best musical concert they've ever attended. They were applauding because they fully recognized how difficult it was for that student. And they were celebrating the accomplishment of working hard and overcoming. And for me, that shows that what we are doing, while we're not always doing it perfectly, and we don't always do it with the right intentions, but that what we are doing is working and that we are laying the bedrock of a better society, a more caring society, um, and a more accepting and inclusive society moving forward. And maybe it was just one moment in one gym out of a thousand students, but I tell you, 10 years ago when I started my career, that silence never would have happened. And um, <laughs> years ago when I was a student, uh, there wouldn't even be that opportunity for a student to come on stage um, to perform like that, unless it was with, you know, a segregated class coming on to to be a part of some skit within the segregated class. Uh, so to have this student who has very high complex uh, intersectional needs be able to be in my general music course and succeed and receive applause in the same way every other student in my music class had um, and for their needs to be honored. In those few moments, my heart was just full and I knew that we're doing the right thing. And really that's the reason why I took this course. I have some personal skin in the game with um, my own family. My, I have some daughters who are gonna have um, some extra needs moving forward. However, um, you know, they have the benefit of having two teachers as parents. So I work hard at what I do to help even out that privilege with my students and really in working with this particular student and being able to see that student's success and hear that student's validation. Um, well, that was an honor and a privilege for me. And so that's been my springboard into taking this part two course. And I will definitely be using that as my inspiration and, um, as my as my hope moving forward well thank you for tuning in to listen those are my thoughts today on my experience with my special education part two i would really like to thank every special education um, teacher out there who is fighting the good fight and working as hard as they can to every cert and every EA you are not you are not invisible you are you are so invaluable to what we do and I am so sorry that you take the brunt of the negativity from our students from our parents from staff um, what you do is absolutely crucial to education and I just want to thank you for all of your sacrifices and all of your hard work. Um, to my EA, 
you know who you are. I won't name you in a in a very public podcast to all you know two people who are probably going to listen to it. Um, but this past year has been such a joy for me in a way that it hasn't been previous to. Working with you has been one of the greatest joys of my career, and I really hope that we can continue our collaboration. Uh, and if not, you are definitely going to be the platinum standard for all of my all of my future working relationships. Um, thank you to Chris Sands for teaching the AQ at York University that I took this year. Thank you to York for offering this part two um, in an online format. It, had it not been for the online format, I would not have been able to actually participate in the AQ. So I'm very grateful for that. Um, and I'm very grateful to York University for having put together such a comprehensive course and for um, having such, a, such great people be a part of it. Um, thank you to anybody who is listening and please remember to show appreciation to your teachers, to your EAs especially, uh, and to any staff who work with your students. We have their best interests at heart and we may come at things from different angles, but let's definitely start in a positive place knowing that we all love our students, whether we're their biological parents or their school parent and uh, we can definitely work together to overcome any challenge. Thank you very much, everybody.